Hey, thanks for listening and tuning into the LNBC Students Podcast again. We are about to roll another episode of bonus content uh, from our series entitled In the Beginning on Genesis 1-11. through And this one in particular is one that I found really cool and fascinating. Um, so Cameron Justice and I sit down and talk about um, an odd reference in a document called the Exodus Rabbah regarding fruit trees being... Uh, present when the Israelites are being delivered out of Egypt when they cross the uh, Sea of Reeds or when the Sea of Reeds is split. And um, we use that to show that the writer of Exodus is making this point, a very important point that we brought up in our sermon from this past Sunday, which is this, that the God of salvation is the God of creation. And that's a very important, influential idea for the Israelites, and it should be for us as well. All right, hey, my name is Taylor, and I'm the student pastor at LNBC, and I'm here with... The Cameron Justice. The Cameron Justice. The one and only. You don't have an official title. I think that's the point. You're you're kind of like an intern, but we don't call you an intern, so we don't have to pay you. Yeah. And um, so we call you something like in the leader development program. Or the unpaid intern. Yeah. Unpaid intern might be the best title for you. Yeah. It's very degrading, but yeah. No, it's not super (laughs) degrading. Um, But you're going to help us out today in having a conversation around uh, one topic of the sermon or the passage that we went into this past Sunday that we weren't able to dive into with the sermon. Okay. And the whole idea was this, that the God of creation is the God of salvation. So we're going to delve a little bit further into that um, using the book of Exodus. So you're actually familiar. I showed you the book that I've been reading. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a really funny name. Do you remember the name of it? It's uh, the, the X... Oh. <laughs> um, hang on, hang on. It's like... The Exodus it's you passed pun. over. Yeah. yeah. The Exodus you almost passed the over. The Exodus you almost passed over. Yeah, it's like a pun. This rabbi named David Foreman, mm-hmm. he writes books like that um, with those punny titles. But don't ask me why I'm reading a book on the Exodus when I'm teaching through Genesis, but that's why <laughs> what has happened. Um, but it actually had a really cool tie-in to this whole idea of the God of creation, the God of salvation. So we're going to walk through some something from that book. And uh, some interesting stuff from that. Sounds good. First things first, you have your Bible ready? Yes. Good. Go ahead and turn to Exodus 14 and also bookmark uh, Genesis 1. All right, so it's, uh, he, you have both of those bookmarked? Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the whole idea. This is what I came across in the book that I was reading by David, uh, Rabbi David Foreman, The Exodus You Almost Passed Over. Uh, he pointed back to the Exodus Rabbah, which is basically a midrash on the book of Exodus. So Jewish rabbis or the sages would write commentary, add different stories, take some things out, change some details in the biblical story, to give you kind of their comments on their interpretation of it. It's a process called midrash. 
But one in particular that's very interesting is that the sages of Exodus Rabbah uh, tell us that there were fruit trees along the path as you walk through the Red Sea. So as the Israelites are being released or saved through the Red Sea, what they see on the walls of water is fruit trees. What in the world do you think the sages are trying to communicate by saying that there were fruit trees along the path? So this is them going along the Red Sea, right? Yeah. Is this them coming out mm-hmm. of... I don't know. I remember um, the video that we watched, um, that one really cringy guy, whatever his name was. <laughs> he's was not that, that cringy. I Ray Vanderlyn. Yeah, man. Ray Vanderlyn. No, he's yeah. great. He's yeah. just a little awkward. Yeah. Um, but he had talked about how Egypt was actually kind of... It was a very nice place to mm-hmm. live. Mm-hmm. It was a very good place to live. So I feel like the trees, as they're walking out, is kind of the symbolism for this was... It's almost like they're leaving this garden-like area, seemingly. Mm. Oh, okay. That's yeah. an interesting direction. Now, you said a garden-like area. Yeah. Okay. I uh, don't mean garden-like as in it was all perfect and good, whatever you want to call that. Yeah. But it was just the living space was good. But you did tie fruit trees back to the garden. Yeah. Right? That's maybe some imagery that we should pick up on. This is what he says, okay? He says, the sages saw a subtle pattern in the biblical text. And with a wink and a nod, they were trying to point it out to you and me so that we could see it too. So that's often how the sages in the Midrash work. They do these weird things. They're very subtle, um, but they're trying to show you something in the text. They're trying to give you like another set of questions for you to see in the text. So let's pick up in uh, the Exodus account just before the sea splits, and let's read the first part of Exodus. Okay, so let's do the first part of um, chapter 14, verse 21. Okay. Uh, It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Okay. So, the sea, darkness, a strong wind, waters divided. Does this remind you of anything? Sounds like uh, Genesis 1. The beginning. Genesis 1, verse... Do you remember what verse? Uh, I believe it's 2. Yeah, so read read Genesis 1, 2. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Yeah, so in the whole Exodus story, what you had was it was night, so there was darkness, there was sea everywhere, and you had a strong wind. Right Now, what's important to kind of draw maybe a link to Genesis 1-2 is that, do you know what the Hebrew word for wind or spirit is in Genesis um, 1? Once you hear it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't remember us going over that. It's ruach. Ruach. Yeah, ruach. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, getting that het um, in there. But ruach can be translated wind or spirit, mm-hmm. either one. Kind of like pneuma in the New Testament. Yeah. And for Greek, can be wind or spirit. Um, so in, in the Hebrew Bible, ruach can be wind or spirit. It's the same word. And that's, so it's the same word here for wind in Exodus 14 when it says that God did this great east wind mm-hmm. over the sea. It's the same word for wind or spirit in Genesis 1. Mm. So anyway, you have these three elements. Um, 
in both accounts. You have darkness, waters, and a strong wind in Exodus 14 and in um, Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's kind of a, con- a connection, right? Yep. Maybe maybe we're drawing too much out of it. So does this really hold up? Uh, let's continue the story and see if it carries over into the Exodus. Um, since we're doing this episode, I'm sure that it does continue, but we'll try to give some suspense. <laughs> um, so what's the next act of creation? Do you remember? The next act of creation. Um, that's when God kind of um, says that he's going to... Oh, yeah, it's the light. It's light, yeah, yeah it's light. So, um, and then God separates between uh, the light and darkness. Is there anything similar in the Exodus story about light and darkness? Do you remember? Mm, I don't. Do you remember how God would appear to them in the desert? Yeah, I was, I was thinking the pillar of fire, Yeah, but I wasn't sure if that... Yeah, so... <clears throat> Read Exodus 14, verse 20. Uh, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Yeah, so there is, it's subtle, and Rabbi David Foreman kind of goes into more of kind of the structure of the Hebrew sentence here, mm-hmm. but he makes it very clear that what we're seeing is this pillar of light and this pillar of cloud or darkness are there at the same time, and they're separated. And so in a very real way, it's as if God, as the divine presence, has separated between light and darkness here, just as he did in creation. And it kind of makes sense. Um, If we're also supposed to pick up on the sea, the darkness, and the wind, when we see light in both instances, maybe we're seeing a connection there too. Mm -hmm. Okay, so again, all right, maybe, maybe (laughs) there's a connection here. But what happens next in the creation account after the light? Do you remember? Uh, he ends up, he separates the light and darkness. All right. So, yeah. So, we've done that. We separate the light and darkness. And then there's another division. What's the next division? Uh, he ends up calling, uh, oh, yeah, the expanse. So, like, the waters yeah. and the land. Or the heavens, right? Yeah. So, the waters below. Yeah. And then the waters above. So, he's separating waters. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, that one's pretty obvious. <laughs> Separation of waters, right? In the Red Sea, any correlation? I don't know, man. <laughs> it doesn't really sound that familiar. So read, okay, read Genesis 1, <laughs> verses 6 through 7. Okay. Uh, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. So he's separating waters, mm-hmm. right? Um, Exodus 14, 22. Let's just read that first real quick, just to make sure that this is solidified. Uh, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the two stories of water splitting, almost exactly the same. Uh, the only difference is like the orientation so at creation, you have waters split vertically above and below. Mm-hmm. And here you're having waters split horizontally on two sides. But that's a pretty easy parallel to see. It's like the cross. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going <laughs> to... This is called parallelomania. That's, that's actually a term in really? comparative studies. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. But it's doing things like that. 
where it's like, oh. I do them only you know, for ironic purposes. Yeah, what's interesting is Jewish um, interpreters with Midrash, like, they might actually entertain those types of connections. Really? Yeah, like just... In a serious manner? In a serious like, manner. I mean, hmm. you have the opening of Genesis, them asking why it starts with the letter bait. And yeah. then they go on this huge thing. Uh, not huge, not like lengthy, but like a very important teaching about why it like begins with bait and not olive. Yeah. <laughs> Which I suppose I suppose most of those are actually pretty valid. It's just they, they get turned into some weird kind yeah. of speech or whatever. It can. <clears throat> I think, yeah, it's just that's a whole new world, man. The yeah. Midrash is a whole new world. And this is kind of part of it. But what you're seeing is there's some obvious connections here. At least I think these uh, these parallels are are more obvious than than we like to think they are. And this one is really where I was like, okay, all right, this this might be a parallel. When did you did you read about this, or did you first start noticing this as you were reading through it? No, I I read about the Exodus Rabbah statement mm-hmm. from the book from Rabbi David Foreman. So then I dove back in a little bit more, and. Uh, but I I first heard about this direct link of to the creation narrative from him. Now thematically, we'll talk about this at the end. I think it it always kind of made sense that the Exodus event was like a creation event. Yeah. But um, anyway, so here's one more parallel, okay? Uh, and this one is really interesting. So the next act of creation is Genesis one nine. Go ahead and read that for us. All right. Um. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. So it's the appearance of dry land. Uh, um, okay, obviously dry land appears in the Exodus account, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Exodus fourteen twenty two. as you read it, um, it emphasizes the dry ground there. It says when the water split that the dry ground appeared and made us, makes a point to say that there was dry ground there. Mm-hmm. And it's the Hebrew word Yabasha. Okay. I'm guessing that's the same word used <laughs> for chapter one. You are so smart. Yeah. Dude. But it's that's the only place it's found in the Hebrew Bible. It's a very specific word. It's a mm-hmm. very unique word. And the only place it's found is in the accre- creation account and in the Exodus drama. Those are the only two instances? Not... Now, there's also, like, in the creation account as a whole, yes. Mm-hmm. And as in the Exodus account as a whole. Oh, okay. Yes. But like the Exodus the drama. entire Old Testament. No, no, no. And, and I meant to say, I, I said Hebrew Bible, I meant to say Torah. Oh, this okay. is the only place that Yabasha is used in the first five books of the Hebrew Bible or hmm. the Law of Moses, the Torah. So it's only used in the creation account and the Exodus drama throughout the Torah. It's the only two places you find Yabasha in the Torah. Like, there are more than two uses. Okay. Like, there's one use in Exodus. It's at the very beginning with um, Moses in the burning bush. Mm-hmm. It also uses Yabasha there. And it's kind of linking the whole Exodus drama. So at the beginning of Moses um, encountering Yahweh at the burning bush to the end of them crossing through the Red Sea, it's bookended by Yabasha. Hmm. So, in the same way, creation account is full, filled with Yabasha. I didn't look at how many times it's in there, but I'm sure dry ground, dry land is in there a few times. And then here, in the Exodus story. So, it, it, it is an act of linking 
this creation account with the Exodus account, and with all the things that we've considered, it seems pretty apparent that there's a link here. Mm-hmm. That the first four acts of creation have transpired again one after another at the Sea of Reeds. So, returning to our first thing with the sages, what could it mean? What are they hinting at with the fact that there were fruit trees along the sides of the dry ground when they passed through the Red Sea? What could they be hinting at there? Um, Based on kind of the parallels we've drawn, how would you maybe find out what they would be? looking for i don't know it i mean obviously there's garden imagery there but i'm not sure exactly what the end goal of Mm. that would be so what's the next act of creation so the next act after after what after the dry land separation between land and sea oh he um read genesis 111 yeah says, let the earth spout vegetation or sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit bearing trees. <gasps> Whoa! <Fruit trees. laughs> Whoa! Right? But no, doesn't that make sense? <laughs> yeah. So what the sages of the midrash have done for you, what they've pointed you to, is they filled in what they see as missing, the missing parallel or the continuation of the parallel, and it's almost as if to assure you that the pattern that that you're seeing here with creation and the exit event is real. It's pretty cool, mm-hmm. right? So they're just showing you that this pattern of seeing uh, creation in the exodus event is important. So just to kind of wrap all of that up, back to our initial point, the biblical writer is demonstrating that this act of salvation in exodus is actually an act of new creation. Oh. oh, right? Yeah. And that the God of salvation is the same God of creation. That this very same God who has the power to execute salvation, deliver, free, is also the God who created everything. Which in Exodus, that's the battle. The battle mm-hmm. is between opening up Pharaoh's eyes, the Egyptians' eyes, the Israelites' eyes, to see that there is one creator, God, who is transcendent above everything. Yeah. And then so that climactic moment of crossing the Red Sea is a definitive case for this is the God of creation. So it's like Genesis is kind of making a case for this God who is bringing order and function to the world. That's kind of messed up, you know, so he's giving this imagery of God as creator, as Mm -hmm. this artist. Mm -hmm. And then they give a second part of that in Exodus Mm. while they still have parallels to the creator or the artist God, they're giving also a second attribute or part to that by saying that he is also a God of salvation and restoration. Yes, it may be a second attribute or it just may be a fuller picture. Okay. You know? Um, but it's very interesting. The parallels are are really, really powerful when you look at this whole idea of Pharaoh in the Exodus narrative is constantly stubborning his heart, hardening his heart to God, right? Yeah. And he is rejecting God as creator. Even when he realizes and admits that God is creator, he still rejects and continues in his ways. And so what what happens, if you're following the the parallels closely, what happens to Pharaoh after the split of the Red Sea? Uh, that's when... He, does he, he doesn't die, does he? Yeah, they Pharaoh get... Pharaoh specifically? 
Yeah, so once Israel passes and then the Egyptians and Pharaoh follow, oh, yeah, yeah. The chaotic pre-cosmic waters basically the the act of uncreation happens. Mm-hmm. So that is you that is the reality of once you realize God is creator, you can either follow him to salvation or you can reject him and be undone by his work. Hmm. It's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. But it goes back to our point. When we read the Genesis story of creation, what we're reading is not simply this all-powerful God who is the artist bringing order and function. He's also the personal salvific God of us. So we can read that, read that story of creation with the end in mind, seeing that it's, we're reading about the God who, can, who saves us. And we, we should read both of those stories together. It's pretty cool. But, all right, cool. This should be a, a shorter bonus content episode, but I think it's a really neat one. And I always love interacting with the Midrash mm-hmm. and some of the Jewish sages. And I'm glad we got you on here, Cam. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored. As always. <laughs>